Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switch to Progressive could save big. But then what? Well, there is a nice piece of stock music playing behind me that a talented composer worked really hard on. So let's enjoy it. Wow, almost overshadows the saving big when you switch to progressive part. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Hey guys, back again with the show. Man, I'm having a good time doing this, and I'm excited to introduce to you some wonderful people. And in today's case, we have Katarina Miller. Katarina is not only a good friend, but an awesome colleague. I'd love to tell you a little bit about her. So Katarina has spent her entire professional career fine-tuning the way her education in psychology and background in athletics can help those around her reach their full potential. An athletic career in track and marathon running coupled with a deep curiosity for understanding human behavior led to a master's degree in sport and performance psychology. Katarina first channeled this education in co-running a startup private consulting firm, educating athletes, small businesses, corporate wellness platforms, and anyone willing to listen to use psychological training to reach elevated performance. In the midst of her career goal shifting, Katarina has discovered a love and a talent for networking and building meaningful relationships with people from all walks of life. It is in this nurturance of her network that has become an anchor of stability in the face of life's many challenges. Katarina can be reached at her personal email, katarina.miller73 at gmail.com. And she encourages any listeners to reach out and make a personal connection. Today's interview with Katarina, we jump in right into talking about vulnerability and courage. So check us out as we get into this part of the conversation. Maybe the biggest piece could be that you're revealing something about yourself that is maybe not very positive to many other people. And it right. could be very... And, there could be damage, you, your perceived damage or the fallout of people knowing this about you. Yeah, which is, I think that people's perceptions of those fallouts, I mean, like I was just, and what Brene Brown says in her research, we're so scared to be vulnerable ourselves, but we respect it in other people. And right. you know, I think that that's exactly what you're alluding to, which is, you know, people are so scared that you admit your shortcomings as if every human in this world does not think about their shortcomings, right? Whether they're willing to talk about it or not, um, aside from maybe you know some narcissists in the world, I don't think there's a single person that that doesn't have an, some understanding that there are shortcomings in them. And yeah, um, yeah, I, I I think that people really are scared that people are not going to accept those weaknesses, those shortcomings, and um, I think that's really kind of like a false fear I, I i don't i think people are more willing to accept you and, and respect you when you talk about those kinds of things right because just like you said when they see that in when you see that in somebody else you go oh man they're so courageous look at them giving of themselves and admitting like you know they're messed up and stuff but on the right. other side then we 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 do it and we're like no we don't want to do it we're like no no i don't want that person to know and so it's like a sick circle you know? Yeah, I, know. I know it is um you know another another book that i i read recently um by simon Sinek, which i think 
a lot of people have seen his TED talks about uh, knowing your why. Um, yeah. Or uh, is it the Golden Circle? Summary. He's got some pretty pretty well known TED talks, but he right. has a book called uh, "Leaders Eat Last," and it's a really interesting kind of intersection of like psychology and biology yeah. and anthropology um, and all of that kind of trickling into effective or non-effective leadership. And one of the things he talks about in leadership that can be so powerful is that ability to admit your shortcomings and your mistakes and that in, in like a workplace setting, even um, how powerful that is and that it literally creates psychological safety for people um for the door to be opened up to be like hey i'm (laughs) not perfect uh this happened because i'm not perfect right um and so that's that's another really interesting kind of look at at the same concept yeah i mean it's i'm just fascinated by like how much of this is out there now and um because when i was in college like 20 years ago this was like not being discussed at all. Yeah. And psychology was obviously there's many psychology majors, but um, within my field of health and fitness, it was like a kind of a throwaway course essentially. Um, and, but now like on a, on a larger, more conscious aspect of it, humans are seem to be more willing to study you know, these different topics of happiness and meaningfulness and shame and vulnerability. And I just find it's fascinating that all of a sudden this has become a thing for us. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what that shift is. I mean, I can speculate. And I do think that the rise of technology has something to do with it because I think that there's, we've created unintentionally this void. Um, Mm. In, in vulnerability and so I you know even things like Brene Brown getting a Netflix special makes me wonder if we're kind of reaching a tipping point of appreciating things like social media and technology but also starting to have our eyes opened to the way it's shut us off from from true humanity in some ways so I think it's kind of left people craving this understanding of what does it mean to have meaning in life? Um, what is happiness, quote unquote? Um, so yeah, it's 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 an interesting. Again, I think even like ten years down the road, we'll have a, a, a bigger picture of of what the shift has been. But um, I mean, positive psychology in general is not not terribly old. Um, no, not at all. <laughs> well, it's just fascinating to me because I think that. I've had this discussion with many people kind of offline and again, kind of another reason for the podcast is to bring these conversations to light because the timing does feel right for these things to start talking about it. And, you know, the, the concept of like having more time to actually think about these things, I think it can be very interesting as, you know, a couple of my colleagues have said, you know, we're, we're obviously, this is a duh point of view, but we're not hunter gatherers anymore. We don't spend right. our lives thinking about basic uh, aspects of living was how do I get food? How do I have shelter? And I mean, while that seems obvious is for generally speaking, you know, people 
know that information. They know where they're getting that from, you know, their food, their shelter, and they're able to be higher on, you know, maybe Maslow's hierarchy of, you know, and they're like, right. And they're like, well, you know, maybe I can get closer to self-actualization by starting to think about what is my life about? What is the meaning of my life? And I think that's on, on some level what is maybe happening a little bit. Totally. Yeah. Life has become so easy in, yes. in some ways and it's left people still unsatisfied. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you know, one of my favorite books in positive psychology is is called The Happiness Advantage, Mm. and uh, by Sean Aker. He's a researcher at Harvard, and his his entire kind of career of research was started because he got into Harvard um, unexpectedly, and he was at Harvard and seeing so many people being so unhappy, and it's like you guys have. (laughs) some of the best opportunities of your life like you're at harvard how could you possibly be so unhappy um and that's kind of what most of his research has then been hinged on um but yeah it's it's an interesting like we have everything right in front of us except for you know what is what is everyone's like big question about life what is the meaning of life? right right <laughs> you know my buddies we have this thing is pretty funny especially when um I was in Las Vegas and I was running a, you know, a pretty high end club there. And we'd say, everything's amazing. Nobody's happy, you know? Right. Oh my right. God. It's incredible, but nobody's happy. You know, it's, and there's this picture, I think sometimes painted, maybe it's political and things is that, you know, Oh, America's in this terrible state and we have to, you know, make things better. And it's all this downward stuff. But I, I, you know, while there are, you know, some really difficult times and places and things in general, we're in probably the best time we've ever been in, in terms of humanity. Like we have like right. so much at our disposal than we've ever had in our entire history as, as a species. And, but we're still incredibly unhappy. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, I even think the term happy is kind of a facade. Yeah. Uh, you know, because it's like, what is this end psychological state that we're trying to like that's not really like a an end point there's no end to that and so you can have the job of your dreams your family can be exactly what you always dreamt it to be but you reach those things and then that happiness signpost just gets pushed out further um and i think a lot of what is happiness is the ability to experience growth in your life and progress and moving forward. And those things kind of inherently come with challenges. And so even that term of of happy, I'm like, that's kind of, is that what we're going for? (laughs) Is happiness what we're going for? Yeah. It's uh, I totally agree. It's, it's interesting. It's like people are trying to get happiness. Like it's a pill. Right. Yeah. And it, and it's just not realistic because again, I mean, life is just challenging. And so I think even shifting that end goal of happy to uh, meaningful and resilient and being able to go through life's challenges and really have like a sense of who you are and, and being able to progress in the way you want. I feel like that's really more of 
what people need as opposed to, yeah, this like magic happy pill that just will never exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not an endpoint, you know, it's, yeah. it's very similar, I think, to kind of the the exercise conversation with people is they, the people often try to put exercise in this box of like, well, I'm doing this for a wedding or I'm doing this for yeah. this season. Like, you know, I, I always describe it as like this cliff uh, theory that people have that, well, once I get to the edge of this cliff, I'm done. I'm, you know, the hike is over. I've, I'm right. at this wedding now. I'm at this particular event. And I'm like, no, that, that's just one point, one dot along a very, very long, like line, which is your life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that I'm sure you I'm sure you see so much of that. But that is one thing that I do appreciate or did appreciate about working with athletes is that um, constantly competing, you you become at least successful athletes become used to the peaks and valleys that are life. Um, and so that is one thing I appreciate that there is kind of that understanding of like you you can do everything right sometimes and still lose and it's yeah. it's more of this long-term journey and not just necessarily an, an end point there's just this concept of always progressing even when you are in those those peaks and that's ultimately you know one of my favorite things about sport and performance psychology is that that resilience piece yeah i, I yeah i know you've you've mentioned about that in terms of resilience and what what has made that kind of a, a big portion of what you're focused on in performance psychology? Um, you know, I think it's just, I, I, I've had some, I mean, as everyone has, um, some real ups and downs in life. And it wasn't until I really took ownership of some of the down points and, and the low points and was able to be honest and vulnerable about them that I was able to find satisfaction in life. Um, and I, I just, you know, in talking with people about it, there's, there's such a lack of wanting to face adversity. And in so many ways, uh, people try to plan their life around avoiding adversity. And, right, and right. I think, you know, that's so unrealistic. And so when you kind of bolster yourself to ride those waves, <laughs> instead of trying to avoid them, not only are you able to make it through, but you're able to really gain something positive along the way. Yeah, I think so. I think that we have this, I don't know who's putting it out there. Maybe it is social media and stuff, but this whole concept that kind of wraps back around it, like, I'm so happy and people have pictures and it's the happiest that they, that people are projecting out there. And when often or not, you know, I always think about like this, I, I tell uh, my colleagues and friends, I'm like, you ever think like you can have in the same picture really happy. And then that person takes that picture and they get a huge fight with their significant other right after that. Like right. that is not being broadcast, you know, like, it's just like, because life's up and down like that. And it's like, you're not on a yacht all day long no. having like the best time ever even if you are in that yacht there's probably some ups and downs during that time you know and yeah no totally well there's someone who said something about like uh someone who's homeless has money problems and warren buffett has money problems yeah They're different money problems but um you know no amount of success is going to take away the adversity 
So you might as well get used to that. <laughs> yeah, you definitely have to get used to that for sure. <laughs> yeah, buckle up and get ready. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, you know, um, networking. So I'll frame it like this. So um, obviously we met through networking and, you know, LinkedIn and all that. And um, I think it was it was an article, you know, about nurturing your network. Um, mm-hmm. which I think is just the best way to talk about networking. So tell me a little bit about the concept of nurturing your network. Yeah, I mean, so I I initially kind of started on this nurturing network train because, um, you know, I was working in a startup private practice. And so a big part of my job or the work I was doing was trying to recruit new clients. And I, I was initially going at it at kind of like a, sale, a traditional salesman uh, attitude. Um, and what really got me to start networking and the way I have uh, was feeling very much so like that just wasn't working for me and that wasn't like playing to my strengths. Yeah. Uh, and so I had this, this reflective process of, okay, well, what are my strengths? Uh, how can I capitalize on them? And one of those is, is relationship building. And so again, it started with kind of this outcome in mind. And that's when I started getting on, on LinkedIn and uh, having some conversations with people. And, and admittedly, it started, again, with this kind of outcome in mind. And you were actually kind of one of the first people that I talked to for the sake of talking to um, <laughs> without any outcome in mind. And it was kind of like this light bulb moment of one, like how, how satisfying it was to connect with a human being, um, you know, in this day and age, just for the sake of connecting, but, but also it's those kinds of relationships that, at some point probably will lead to some outcome. You just can't force it that direction. So, you know, I started just getting on the phone and and talking to people and and meeting people. And and I've learned so many things from people. And I've had multiple instances where at some point that's turned into some kind of business connection or, you know, you should talk to this person and maybe it leads to a paycheck. But I just again, you know, kind of what we were talking about, people have this craving to, to connect and getting on the phone with people, talking to people, nurturing your network in that way builds nationwide relationships um, that aren't curated. Um, and you've suddenly got this kind of wide cast net of support, both professionally and personally. Um and it's just, it's a really powerful experience when you, <laughs> again, drop the, the outcome-based motivation and just start looking at people as people. Yeah, you know, I think what's interesting is we're, we're almost conditioned to have this outcome-oriented relationship with speaking with people. Right. Where it's like, hey, you know, well, I'm speaking with you, but let's just be clear. I'm trying to get something from you. Right. What can I, what can I, like what tangible thing can I gain from this? (laughs) Right. So it's a taking relationship. Even if you, there's often a facade about it. Like I'm going to talk to you, but um, I'm, I'm taking, I'm going to take something from you, hopefully. And 
I think it's been a huge part of my nurturing of network is saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not focusing on this being anything about my business. And we may talk about my business and your business, but it's really just for the purpose of speaking to another human being and be interested in what they're doing. Right. Well, and those are, it's funny because that is what ultimately leads, I think, to um, the most like tangible benefit one day. It's just, again, you can't, you can't force it. But when you, when you build those kinds of relationships with people, those people are much more likely to lend a helping hand to you in the future than if you have a relationship that's based off of just what can I gain from you? Um, and, and yeah, it's just talking to people for the sake of, of, of people. We just have such a lack of that and people really appreciate it and gravitate towards it. Um, and I mean, I've had some, I've learned so much from people too. I mean, I think it's even made me a better professional in some very intangible ways, just learning about what's out there, learning what people are doing, uh, learning people's perspectives on things. Um, you know, there's so much, there's so much out there and there's so many great people doing great things that you might never meet otherwise. I totally agree. And I think it's hard to get people out of the outcome oriented relationship starting business in some ways, because I know I, I face it, you know, my struggle sometimes is, is just getting people to get back to me mm -hmm. um, when I connect with them. But when they do, I think they're, it's almost a deprogramming of, <laughs> like, okay, listen, this is how I'm going to teach you how to do this. Okay. This right. is, you're not going to, I don't want to watch your 32nd video or your sales pitch. <laughs> like we're talking as human make... beings, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not drinking your special water. Yeah. I don't want to uh, learn how to make $10,000 in a week or whatever. Yeah. You know, I'm making 60 grand a month right now. I'm like, man, yeah. you want to know how to do it? No, I don't actually. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm pretty, I, I don't, I want to know how, who, who are you outside of this weird scheme you're trying to sell me? Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, deprogramming is really such a good way of putting it because I can, I even see sometimes you get to the end of, of one of these conversations that has been very um, personal and you're, and you're just talking for the sake of talking. And then you can almost feel the other person at the end of the conversation like there's almost some pressure on their end to, to promise you something <laughs> and, and you have to like reinforce like, no, I mean, sh sure. Opportunity for me to be a guest speaker in your class. Cool. But that's not what the point of this was. <laughs> like you yeah. don't need to like dig and rack your brain for some kind of promise or guarantee you can give me. Um, <laughs> if you can just remain a, a person that I, I know and I'm connected with, that's kind of all I was looking for. <laughs> Yeah, it's such a simple thing, but I think very hard because, you know, like I said, people are programmed to say, okay, I have this business, I'm going to go on this site, and I'm just going to, you know, basically cold message people or call them, and, you know, maybe somebody will, will I'll will hook somebody through this wow. whole thing, and, and well, it's not the, it was the, the, the amount of people, the size of people, it's, you know, it's, it's the right people that you're reaching out to or genuine that align with your values and your philosophy about what you're doing. So it can be difficult on that end because people are really, they're really deeply programmed into selling to use something. 
Yeah, well, and that's what something something like LinkedIn is. It feels like that's kind of what it's been uh, like positioned itself to do. Um, which, yeah, I mean, that can be a great way to grow your business in that sense. But I think it, it the, the better benefit is being able to connect with people, like you were saying, with the same values as you, people that are, um, you know, going to reinforce or teach you new things. And um, yeah, it's it's getting on, just meeting people is, is very underrated just for the sake of who they are. I think it's very funny that we're having this conversation about meeting people is very underrated. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a strange world to be in. I mean, to, whereas, you know, a lot of, you know, history is passed down orally and people, you know, writing things down and chatting with each other and by a fire and just having, you know, this communal atmosphere. And it feels right. like we've lost, we've lost that on some level. We, we connect, we can connect with anybody almost across the entire globe, but we're lonelier than ever. I'm sure you've seen the statistics. People are incredibly lonely right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause it's, it's the norm now to throw in your headphones, no matter what you're doing and just not pay attention to the world around you, have your phone stuck in your face, be caught up in the emails and, and all of that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's, it's technology is so helpful and great in so many ways, but it's also created that void. I mean, and, and referring again to that book by Simon Sinek, the leaders eat last, the kind of anthropology piece that he brings into it is kind of what you were referring to, which is as, as, as people, as, as social animals, we are designed to have real interactions with each other. Um, and there's even like neurotransmitters in our brain that are, are social neurotransmitters and, and are, we need certain amounts of interaction and meaningful interaction for those neurotransmitters to be firing. And uh, we've lost that sit around the fire, uh, you know, we, the days where you couldn't just binge watch anything that you wanted on TV for six hours a night <laughs> instead of like talking to your, your friends and family. I mean, you can even be watching a movie or, or show on Netflix with someone and half the people in the room could be stuck on their phone the whole time. It's, That's true. That's true. <laughs> I think there's, there's certainly an element of a, of a addiction to the technology, you know, but then there's an element of like that. It's, it's so relevant and people use it like everybody uses it. So it's like, okay, this thing is part of like daily living, but how do I use it where it doesn't cause me to have this daily addiction to it, you know, at the I same, know, the same yeah. time. It's this great I, conundrum, yeah. I think. Yeah. And I, I think, I always think about, you know, I don't, I don't have kids yet, but I always think about like what a struggle to raise children in this day and age because like technology offers so many great resources um, for kids and, and for development um, and learning and all of that is great. But then how can you uh, couple that with some real human interaction and, and that uh, understanding of people and how can you blend those two things? I think that's probably got to be a big challenge. I think it's a, I think it's a huge challenge. And, um, you know, I have a seven-year-old daughter and, you know, people say, well, when's she going to get a phone? I'm like, what? She's seven. I'm like, 
And my wife and I were like, you know, I know there's phones out there that are just basically like texting and phone calls. And I think that's probably what we're going to go with because, uh, you know, maybe it's a, a wrong way to look at it. But, you know, I worry about um, the, the rise in uh, bullying and teenage suicide and all that stuff. And, and I think, I, I, listen, I don't know that there's a, a, a link between, you know, social media, Instagram, Facebook and, and all that. But uh, there seems to be something going on there, you know, and I don't, you know, kids are not strong enough to withstand that bullying at that age with like when they go home and then they're getting inundated with it online and stuff. So, you know, I want her to be able to have like the basic elements that she can, you know, chat, you know, chat and stuff like that. But, you know, what does a kid like a teenager really need to expose themselves to all that stuff? And how they not, co they can't cope with it effectively. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, one of my uh, best friends is a school psychologist and um, in like elementary school and early middle school, and that's something that she is constantly being asked to talk about is bullying, but not just bullying, bullying in this like technological age. Uh, right. Because again, there's that like vulnerability piece and the humanity taken out of um, when you interact with someone and it's through a computer screen. Um it's really easy to forget that there's like a real person <laughs> with real yeah. feelings there. And uh, it's, yeah, it's kind of terrifying to be honest. But <laughs> it's just difficult. I don't, you know, I'm not sure. I didn't have to deal with it. I mean, I didn't grow up with it. Like if there was any, like, you know, I had beef with somebody or there was a bullying. It was like, you just went home yeah. and <laughs> you didn't have to deal with it until yeah. like the next day, maybe you, maybe you thought about it and you're like, Oh, going to school blah, blah, blah. But you didn't see the person that much. You know, now it's like this, this, this swarm of kids on social media and saying, you know, nasty things to each other. And so you're inundated with it all the time. And uh, I think I, I've listened to this on a couple of podcasts and I, and I, I, I really agree with this point of view is that, you know, we didn't, we didn't earn our technology, you know, the, mm -hmm. we didn't earn social media and all that it was just given to us right and whenever you don't earn something and you just receive it you don't usually have a lot of respect for it with for the rules of it how it's done there's no handbook for this stuff so we were given the power these phones have the power they're so much greater than like uh computers were like one gigantic computer back in like the 80s you know ah. it's like We've been given this incredible power with no instructions, no handbook, no textbook on how to use it. So we literally just give it to anybody. Like think of something else that you wouldn't just like go, hey, start driving today. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I hope it goes well. Right. You know? Yeah, that <laughs> is that is such an interesting perspective. But that's so true. Like there needs to be a respect almost for the power that is uh social media and, and technology at large um yeah that is so interesting because there are no rules and i think that's there's no that's rules kind of, one it's it's easier you know the the impact of someone driving unprepared is pretty in your face and obvious and traumatic. right and and the impact of someone's you know on someone's psychology and someone's mental state is um pretty easy to miss or pretty easy to yeah yeah and maybe it's less visible 
again, I, I sometimes, not sometimes, I definitely kind of look at it in the exercise element of things. While, yes, you can see when somebody is getting fitter, there's often a lot of exercise and the benefits are what are, what are happening inside your body, which nobody sees. Right. With that. And it's very similar at this. It's like, okay, yes, there's benefits to it, but there's also a lot of negative things that you're just not seeing. And anytime you give ultimate power, and I do believe this is some of the biggest power we've ever had in our history, and you don't, you don't teach them and there's no way to earn it, it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. Like I'm a 41-year-old man and I'm just feeling like I have a pretty good head on my shoulders. I'm 41. Right. Like, think about people in their 20s. You know, their frontal lobe hasn't fully formed yet. And so the decision making is garbage half the time. <laughs> you know, like, I, yeah, I, I'm 41. Really. I'm just starting to make really good decisions in the last 10 years of my life. Right. You know I mean? Yeah. Well, and much less people, I mean, people in their 20s for sure, but even, you know, people in their teens. <laughs> yeah. How do you expect them to like handle this awesome power of, you know, Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and all these whatever things and these weird online dating sites and all, you know, that is that are apps now, you know, and I think it's, you know, for parents is critically important to be aware of what your children are looking at, what they're doing, you know, you want to let them have independence, but it's also your job to, in, in many ways, to be the, the monitor for these things. If there's no rules for it, then you have to become the ruler for that right yeah it's it's almost yeah it's no rules is really the 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 way to describe it and if we could maybe shift our perspective to you know the perspective that like you've taken on and that i've taken on with with networking and using that power for something really positive um and recognizing that kind of void in humanity it can create and trying to combat that um you know social media can be really really a powerful thing but we just haven't really gotten to that point yet, unfortunately. Well, when has anything functioned well when there were no rules for it? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, when is like, oh, yeah, we've no, no uh, society, uh, societal rules or structure is gone great. Like, people need <laughs> structure. They, there's chaos when there's no structure right. or, no, or some sort of parameters around it. And currently, and I think that's one of the biggest things that I, I've seen in the news about like uh, artificial intelligence and and social media and all this stuff is that you you need to, there needs to be some regulation around this because you know you had a thing where it's just popped up and all of a sudden it's like I, like I'm kind of moving this into an AI conversation a little bit but I know like uh, people like Elon Musk and that they're very much into regulation right. for AI because the thing that you create can be your undoing. Also, at the same time, if you don't put some parameters around it. Totally. Well, I mean, social media even started, I mean, the like original social media. Um, well, I guess maybe like MySpace was the original, but Facebook yeah. was really what took it to the next level. And I think people forget that there was an age requirement for Facebook, like originally. Um, right. And, and I part of that was because it was targeted towards like college, college age. But there, there was a while because I remember not being able to have a Facebook for age requirement reasons. And people forget that that was, that was something. And there, there was a, a reason for that. Um, and, and now it's, you know, you've got children 
on, on the <laughs> internet doing literally this, that, the other yeah um, but yeah I mean there was social media started with kind of the understanding of you should be a certain age to be doing this yeah I think there there needs to be more regulations with that I mean I, listen, I'm not like this huge like hey government should do all this stuff for us so we need to have like all these rules and stuff but i do think that um a society without rules or providing people with lack of structure or i mean not having no structure it just doesn't work and and people just do not function well like and i think that's that's somewhat of the uh like athletes if you look at it for athletes you know when they're done playing in their athletic career sometimes they struggle because there's no longer any structure in their life right totally yeah that's, so they, that's a big struggle you see Huge. So they don't know what to do. You start getting involved in other things because somebody else was running your life and telling you where to be on a regular basis. And you had all these alarms. People were your alarms and, and your schedule and, you know, all these handlers and stuff. And now you're on your own. It's like, what is my life like now? How, how do I create that structure? Yeah. And I think there's even something to be said about building a skill set of, of like willpower and self-control. Um, and having rules and structure kind of imposed on you can help with that. Um, and, and I, there's a balance, right? Cause you need to, you need to be able to mm-hmm. function, uh, independently without someone watching over you all the time. But, um, I think learning that self-control aspect and that willpower kind of comes with growing up with structure and rules. And, um, I hope we're not completely losing that. <laughs> I, yeah, I hope not either, but I think that uh I think it's the interesting thing about aging. You know, a lot of funny enough when I network, I I end up meeting so many people uh that are in their 20s and having lots of conversations with them. And then I think about like when I was in my 20s and I knew people were in their 40s and 50s and they would say these things that I'd be like, "Okay." <laughs> and and they were wise because they had lived, their experiences had taught them many things about Hey, once you start adding on these pieces to your life, you know, uh, significant other relationship, children, all that, your perspective is going to change and you're going to have more things in your life. And it's going to it's going to it's going to give you this experience that you haven't had before. And it, and it grows you like by leaps and bounds and how you think about things with other people starts changing as you get older. And I found that, you know, I'm still pretty young, but in my 40s. I, I feel like more dialed in as I go, oh, I, you know what? This is not worth getting upset over anymore. This, right. And people say, I'm too old for this. It's not necessarily they're too old for it. It's just that they, they've, know, they've seen the consequences of that action, and they're like, there's no point to it for me to right. be upset about yeah. this. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there really, there really is truly no greater teacher than, than experience. <laughs> and so- yeah listening to, to people with that experience is, is probably wise. <laughs> so do you have any thoughts on, you know, I don't think we've ever talked about this, but I, I think it's an interesting thing. I used to talk to my staff about, about the concept of uh, intuition. Mm. You know, I, I, <laughs> I've read one, one book about intuition. Um, mm. kind of. It's, it's kind of geared towards, um, fear um but it's called the gift of fear yeah and and it's about understanding kind of the like biological reasoning for for gut reactions um to things but Hmm. simon sinek also kind of talks about um 
gut feelings and there's like there's like a, a part of your brain that's that uh deals with strong feelings and emotions but doesn't process uh vocabulary or has nothing to do with um like verbalizing things and so there's kind of this interesting experience of your body reacting to things and having an understanding of things but you're just not able to verbalize that um and I think that's a lot of times where like intuition and the, those gut feelings are and since you know it's uh I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the first time I've really talked to anybody about this besides when I did it with my staff because I, I just think it's an interesting concept and for me I'm just I'm fascinated by what other people think about things that maybe they're not thinking about on a daily basis and yeah, it just fascinates I- me yeah, I'm a, I'm actually a pretty big believer in, in following intuition mm-hmm. uh, just because I think that there is this like almost primal part of our brains uh, uh. that can be triggered by different things, but can be difficult for us uh, to conceptualize. Um, but, you know, we, we are born out of that hunter-gatherer uh, lifestyle, which which was very... Um, feeling based and the instinctual, yeah. yeah, instinctual, and so you know they're very much so. We definitely have this part of our brain that's primal still, but we've also got this more developed part of our brain with like sophisticated language and um, sophisticated conceptualizations of things and and problem solving and and again in Simon Sinek's uh one of his TED talks he talks about that how those are two different parts of your brain mm. uh, and so you can have that primal part of your brain uh like activated but it's it's not necessarily going to connect with that conceptualization part of your brain or that part of your brain that can put language to it so um I think it's that interesting kind of like understanding where we come from as people um and when you have like a really strong feeling about something it might it, it might be worth listening to man uh you summarized that incredibly well and <laughs> like i was i was like man that's so that's totally right on and i'll give you an example so this podcast literally i'm listening to a bunch of podcasts i'm a big podcast listener i'm always like looking for a good one to listen to you know, interesting topics. I mean, I was listening to one the other day. It was about this lady who was a flight attendant and it was all about being a flight attendant, like the behind the scenes of what actually happens. And I was like, oh, this is very interesting to me and stuff, you know. <clears throat> and then I'm listening to one on the plane the other day uh, where it's on Freakonomics and James Clear was oh, nice. the, and um, I'm, I don't know, you're probably familiar with James Clear, I'm, I'm uh-huh. guessing, and about habits and things and uh I'm like, oh, it's very interesting to me. And, and I'd be sitting at home and I'm like, I feel this very strong gut feeling like I need to start my own podcast. Like, yeah. And I would try to deny it. I'd be like, eh, probably not. I mean, I just like having phone calls with people. And I still do that. But that feeling kept getting stronger every day, super strong. And then I was like, all right, I'm just going to go with this and do it. I don't, you know, I'm probably not set up the best to start this, but whatever i'm gonna go with it it's been so much fun yeah well i i had a similar experience with that just in um leaving private practice and 
I, I want to make it clear that this was like a, a personal journey and not anything against private practice I was a part of. But I, for like several months, I was just having this like very kind of gut feeling about it that it wasn't right for whatever reason. But again, like in my like logic part of my brain and like the the you know problem solving and like on the surface it seemed like it made all the sense in the world and like financially it was what made sense and all of those kinds of things but there was just this this like feeling uh that I couldn't really put words to and it's finally when I just kind of like put my hands up and surrender to that feeling uh, that like even in the midst of having to figure things out, which obviously isn't fun. Um, yeah, it was, I think, the right decision for me. And so it's it's interesting sometimes I get that like primal part of your brain can be really in tune with like what's right and what's wrong. And we're just very used to listening to logic and and, and I get it. it's scary to make a move that you can't really uh, like describe why it feels right. Right, uh, right. But yeah, it's it's a really interesting experience when you're able to to kind of tap into that. I feel, you know, I feel that in in a big sense with like when I meet people or I talk to them. Totally, and I'm, and I'm very driven towards somebody. Like it's like a massive train coming their way that I feel it. like I'm like oh I want to talk to this person more I don't really know why it's just something about that person and it and it pulls me you know maybe it's their actions and things they're doing and how they go about doing it but sometimes it's hard to put a finger on it and then there's people like I will talk to them and we'll have friendly conversations but like I don't want to talk to them again and it's just right and it's right. just a feeling. Yeah. It's not like I'm thinking about it completely. It's just a feeling, you know? Yeah. And, and, and you, you, should, you should read uh, Leaders Eat Last because he talks about that a little bit and just like mm. the, the neurotransmitters uh, that are social neurotransmitters. And there are like people that for whatever reason, like really create that psychological safety and, and whatever. And some of it is literally, it allows the firing of those neurotransmitters to be activated more. Um, and so that's kind of what people are talking about when they refer to us as being social creatures. Um, it's not just that, you know, it, it's easier to hunt down a wild animal way back in the day with a group of you. It's just that there's like a the psychological aspect to it um, that even being social has like a, a primal aspect yeah. to it which is really interesting, but yeah, I feel the same way about, about people where you, there's just <laughs> certain people that you click with really well and you want to talk to them more and you feel very connected to right off the bat. And then there's other people where, you know, there's not necessarily anything wrong, but there's just that lack of, of real gut feeling with it. And it's, and that whole gut feeling is literally how I choose people to be on the podcast. Literally. <laughs> yeah, There's I no, thought. like, you, you can't buy your way or, you know, have this great resume to be on here, you right. know, and do this. Like, they're lit it's for me, like, I was telling Lauren yesterday when I was going, and she was on the podcast, I was like, 
it's really just like I have a conversation with a person and I and I get a feeling and it's I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. But like if they're if I know somebody, you know, and they're listening to this and they're maybe thinking, well, I've talked to Darian a couple of times before. I wonder why he hasn't asked me. It's not, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, it's it's not that like I'm going, oh, they'll be a good guest. Like, oh, man, they'll talk really well and they'll be funny. And like, I don't think about it that way. I think what's my energy with that person? And I think maybe that energy is best served in like maybe just a non on the air private conversation versus where I have people who are like, I would say like me and you, we would have this same conversation and we have (laughs) (laughs) off of this medium, you know, and, and there's just a way, there's just something about it. So like, and my other thing was like, I don't want people to be, like necessarily always ask me about it. Like I want to ask them like, man, there's something about you. I think you'd be there. You would add something. I don't know. There's just, I can't explain it, you know? Totally. And we would have a good, really good conversation because these are long form conversations. I mean, these are not, Hey, 15 minute, you know, people sometimes do this to me. They're like, Oh, I scheduled our conversation for 15 minutes. I'm like 15 minutes. Like, what do you talk about in 15 minutes? Well, and then there's like the, the like pre-packaged set of questions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) I don't know what to do in 15 minutes. Yeah. No. Yeah, totally. And I think that people listening, um, again, whether they're able to like verbalize what it is or or not, um, I think can connect with this form of talking and podcasting. Um, because there is kind of a genuine connection there and just like a, a genuine humanity to it. Well, you just learn so much more about people. That's what drew me to podcasts. Like I you know, was listening to bigger ones and smaller ones and you, you get these inner workings behind the scenes of human beings more than just who they are and what they identify as their profession. You start learning at least really good ones that I see. You start learning about the ins and outs of the, of the person and that's very valuable to me. And so I wanted to provide that platform too, where somebody's listening to this with uh, me and, and you, they're like, Katarina, like, I didn't know she had these perspectives on these things. Right. You yeah. know, it, it's, it's fine to message somebody and you have this short thing and then you know, maybe you have a short phone call, but really the longer you go with it, you start really peeling back the layers of the person. Yeah, which is, you know, conversation coming full circle. I think think that's some of what people and society in general have been missing is that ability to really peel back the layers of who someone is and not just see uh, the curated version of that and not see, um, you know, the the put together necessarily uh, image that they want to put forward. But that ability to peel back layers, I think, whether people are aware of it or not, are really, really craving that in this day and age. I think they're definitely craving it. And I think it goes to the whole concept of, are you okay with who you are as a person? And have you accepted who you are? You know, and I think we're in a time and age, especially with, you know, human rights and different gender uh, fluidity and sexuality and whole deal uh, race that, you know, it's we're bringing up some really amazing topics and discussing things that people would never talk about before in the past. Um, and now we're getting to the roots of who, who we are as people, you know, whether, whether it's, you know, emotional people like who our personalities, uh, 
our sexual orientation, our gender, right. all those things are like, I find that stuff to be completely amazing that we're talking about it because I think we need to talk about it. I agree. I think it's really kind of flipping the script on, on what we've seen in the past and this just kind of general acceptance of, of people as people when it comes with its challenges, obviously. Um, it, of course. Like you're saying, it, it can be scary. Um, it can be hard to accept at the forefront. But yeah, these are the really important conversations to have and the really valuable, powerful ones as well. Well, you can be assured that this is not a curated conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, everything is off the top of the dome here, which is always the case with this podcast. And uh, I think one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, because I knew that you had a lot of interesting perspectives about a variety of topics. And uh, it's been a pleasure having you on, Katarina. Yeah, always a pleasure. Thank you. thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's always a pleasure on my end as well. And um, I welcome the opportunity to have a chat with you. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate it. But the pleasure is all mine. And uh, I look forward to everybody hearing this. Yeah, yeah. I, I look forward to re-listening to it as well. <laughs> you know, it's a funny thing. When you re-listen to it, it changes the entire way you see it. Or you feel oh, about I bet. <laughs> like I've had to re-listen to all these ones that I'm doing. And I'm like, I'm not sure what I was thinking there. Um, or like, and I hear the other person, I'm like, I remember me asking them this and them saying it, but it feels totally different listening to it on the outside. Yeah. Right, right. Well, and that's, that's like the beauty of having that completely off the cusp and completely not planned is I'm sure listening back, there'll be like kind of some surprises. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing. Yeah, it is a good thing. It's just life, right? You know? Yep, exactly. Well, thank you again, Katarina, and I uh, look forward to the next time we speak. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, bye. Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switch to Progressive could save big. But then what? Well, radio has been called theater of the mind, so let's tell a story with sound effects. <laughs> Wow, it's like I was in the story. Almost makes me forget this was supposed to be about saving big with Progressive. <laughs> Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. O'Reilly Auto Parts specializes in keeping your car on the road. Not sure how much life is left in your battery? Our professional parts people will test it for free. If it does need to be replaced, we'll help you find just the right one to fit your car. Our superstar batteries are built to handle even the toughest conditions. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, oh. 